Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jeff Heidloff is coming to read. Let me invite you to stand in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. Listen as I read. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Normally in November, uh, we take a few weeks and and, uh, turn our attention to uh, like a little mini vision series. And uh, this year we're going to wait and do that in January. Uh, and so uh, for these next few Sundays until Advent starts, uh, we're just going to have uh, some selected passages uh, from the Gospel uh, of Luke. And uh, today uh, we're going to look in Luke chapter 4. Uh, as you heard that passage read, um, you, you may have been able to put the pieces together as to what, what is exactly going on. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness uh, and he is fasting. And um, we, this same account, uh, Luke chapter 4, you can find it uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 4 as well. And uh, they complement each other and add a few details here and there. Uh, but he's been in the wilderness for, for 40 days. And, and during this time, the devil uh, has been after him. That's what these accounts indicate. Uh, and if you were to say, well, what, what exactly is, is fasting? Well, fasting is giving up something. Uh, often it's food, and in this case, it's certainly food giving up something in order to more wholly and intentionally focus your heart and your mind on something better, uh, on on the Lord himself. And yet, the Bible indicates that this is the very time when Satan attacks him. And so if you're familiar with the spiritual practice of fasting, it's this intentional effort to say, I'm going to put off something in order to pick up this, this relationship with God in a more intense way. And yet we find out here that that is the very time that the the testing, the temptation, the attacks intensify. I don't want you to miss the fact, uh, in addition, that the Spirit of God is leading Jesus. That it says in in, in verses 1 and 2, it's very clear, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this, this, uh, the Spirit led into the wilderness. Like There's this sense in which the Spirit is at work in Jesus' life. He's picking up this, this spiritual practice, this spiritual discipline of fasting. And while he's in that condition, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, participating in a a historic spiritual practice, that's when the attacks are the worst. 
See, temptation can, can be a, I mean, it's a problem for Christians. That, 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 that bothers a lot of followers of Jesus. But one thing that I want you to take away from this account is that temptation isn't necessarily your fault. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus was sinless, and yet Jesus is tempted. Jesus was tempted, the Bible tells us, in every way like we are. And so temptation is a hard thing to navigate, um, and it comes upon us sometimes at the times where we are least expecting it. Jesus' situation is a little complex. Jesus is by himself, and Jesus is without food. Uh, you know, years ago, I, I came across this little acrostic, and I've thought about it uh, a bunch of times, uh, but it's the acrostic HALT, H-A-L-T, and the acrostic stands for hungry, angry, alone, and tired. Hungry, angry, oh, I'm sorry, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And the case is made that people uh, are much more vulnerable, vulnerable to failure when they are in any of those situations. If they're hungry, if they're angry, if they're lonely, if they're tired. None of those um, emotions or realities are wrong in and of themselves, but they, they are sort of danger zones. P people are more vulnerable to sin in those situations. And we know it from the Bible, but you also know it from your own life. In any of those conditions, and there's plenty more. As we come to this, uh, the specifics of Jesus' situation, we recognize that Jesus, not only one of those four things were true, but two of those four things were true. Jesus was hungry, and Jesus was all by himself. And so if that acrostic is any help at all, that if a person is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that they're more vulnerable, Jesus has two of the four present in his life at this very moment. And it's really possible that Satan looked at this situation and thought, this is my shot. This is my shot. Jesus is hungry, and he's all by himself. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. Well, maybe. I mean, verse 2 tells us that these have been 40 days of, of prayer and fasting, and these days are coming to an end. It's possible, it's likely, that Jesus is headed back into town. He's been out in the wilderness. Uh, he'd be headed back to eat for the first time in 40 days. And that's when Satan shows up. Satan comes to test Jesus. Maybe this is evidence that Satan thought Jesus was indeed vulnerable. He was hungry and he was all by himself. And that's when, uh, that's when Satan shows up. What does Satan do? He presents Jesus with what Luke records as three tests. Uh, and these tests were meant to undermine Jesus' confidence that his Father in heaven actually cared for him. And Satan has pulled this stunt before. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. But whether you are familiar with it or not, this interaction in Luke chapter 4 mirrors the sequence that happens between Adam and Eve and Satan back in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. I want you to see what Jesus or what Satan does to Jesus here. Look, look and, and we'll show how it, how it mirrors Genesis chapter 3. Satan tests Jesus by doing these things. He undermines the Father's loving provision. In the very first test, you find it in verses 3 and 4. Uh, but the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And so he, he looks at Jesus and here is Jesus hungry. And he comes to Jesus and he tempts Jesus to take the situation into his own hands. Instead of trusting his father to provide for him, he says, why don't you take things into your own hands? Why don't you do it yourself? So he tries to undermine the father's loving provision. 
Um, Secondly, he tries to undermine the father's goodness. In verses 5 through 8, you see the devil coming at him with a second test. It says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Gives this, this, this questioning, he, is God keeping the good stuff from you? If you'll come my way, you can have the good stuff. You can have all this authority. You can have all this glory. And third, he undermines the Father's promises. In verses 9 through 12, you see the third test, and uh, he amps it up a little bit. In, in, in the third test, the, uh, the, the devil actually decides to use the Bible, and he quotes from one of the Psalms, And he uses this idea from the Bible and he distorts it and he misuses the Bible and he tries to indicate to the Son of God something other than what God had indicated. And as he, as you see there in verses 9 through 12, he takes him to Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For the Bible says, you're you're totally protected. The the angels are going to protect you. And he references these passages uh, from, from, from the psalm. And so as the, as, as the devil presents to Jesus these tests, these temptations, he is undermining the Father at every turn. If you remember Adam and Eve, uh, they actually fell for these lies. Uh, they believed that God was indeed holding out on them. Uh, they are in the garden, and they are living in perfect shalom, in perfect relationship with the God of heaven. They have a garden that is full of all good things, and yet God had told them, there's this one tree I don't want you to eat from this, from this tree. And as Satan comes to them, Satan comes to them, and he comes to them with some of the very same lies. He comes to them, and he indicates that maybe God isn't actually providing for them the, the best food. That maybe that's the fruit that they really, really want. God's not providing for you. He's keeping it from you. He says, what if what that fruit offers is the really good stuff? What if eating that fruit actually opens up the doors that you so long for, that gives you the knowledge and the awareness that you so desire? He's keeping the good stuff from you. And it undermines the Father's promises as he offers the word of God. Again, Satan in the garden distorts what God has said, twists what God has said, and tries to invite them into something other than what God had promised them, what God had offered them. Well, as Adam and Eve heard these lies, they ended up believing that God was holding out on them, that God wanted to keep the really good stuff for himself, that they really wouldn't die if they did their own thing. So that's exactly what they chose to do. They chose to do their own thing. We, we often talk about them eating a piece of fruit, and they did, but it's not about the fruit specifically. It's about the fact that they rejected the God of heaven's good way and instead went their own. They followed their own wisdom, and we have been dealing with the consequences ever since. You see, in the garden, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve failed their tests. But what about Jesus? Well, you heard it read. Jesus passes all three of these tests with flying colors. He he rejects Satan's temptations by turning to God's words and trusting his father's character and his father's promises instead of chasing after instant gratification or 
physical desires. Jesus shows us that God's design for his people is to say no to sin, aided and fueled by trusting that God is good and with trusting his word, unlike Adam and Eve. If you notice Jesus' responses to each of these three tests, in all three of these tests, Jesus quotes scripture back to the devil all three times. All three texts that Jesus references are from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, is, chapter eight verse 3 is his first answer. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, verse 13 is his second answer. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 is his third answer. You see, Jesus is, is seeing what the devil is presenting to him, recognizing these things as distortions and as lies, as invitations to run opposed to God's good way. And he sees them for what they are. Jesus is also able to discern that while Satan uses the Bible too, that's what, that's what Satan does in the third test, he takes the Bible, Psalm 91, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4. Satan is quoting the Bible, quoting the Bible back to the Son of God. And he's trying to use the Bible to justify this action. And Jesus is able to discern that while Satan is using the Scripture too, he's misusing the Scripture. You know, one, one of the challenges that we have uh, in our current moment is what we sometimes, you know, with, with a little snark, uh, refer to as the, the church of Google. And uh, if, if you want to have the Bible affirm some aspect of your lifestyle that traditionally Christianity has not affirmed, you just have to Google it. Just Google it, and you will find somebody who has found some sort of way to, 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 to manipulate the Bible to affirm whatever it is that you want to have affirmed. You, you can find it. It's out there. And Jesus, as, he's inter, as, he, as he is interacting with these temptations from Satan, he recognizes that Satan is using Scripture, but he's also able to see that Satan is misusing it. What, what an excellent model. What an excellent example of not getting distracted by the distortions, by the sleight of hand or the lies. You know, the Bible in, in several different places tells us that Satan is a liar, that he loves confusion, that he loves distortion. Instead, Jesus trusts God's direction. But we have to see here that Jesus is not just quoting verses. Jesus is he's actually stating the desire of his heart. Jesus fights temptation with a heart that actually believes the Father, that actually believes the words of the Father. This is not just knowledge. Do you notice in the second test, what the devil puts before him is actually a call for Jesus to come worship him. He says, if you will just worship me. What's he talking about? He's not just talking about Jesus' actions. He is talking about actions, but not just actions. He's talking about Jesus' heart. He's talking about Jesus' affections. He wants to turn Jesus' desires away from the God of heaven, away from his Father in heaven, and towards something less than, something false. So Jesus, yes, he turns to God's words, but he's also reflecting the desires of his heart. He actually believes God, and he believes God's word. So yes, we need to know what God says. Yes, it's a, it's a tool to, to fight temptation. It should result in changing what we believe and what we do. And Jesus models that for us in an incredible way. But if you'll notice this, um, 
it is clear that Luke does not record every aspect of Satan's temptations. Uh, there's indications uh, in, in, in the beginning of this text and at the end of this text that, that Satan had been at work at, on Jesus, that the temptations had been many. And Luke records these three, and it's possible that these three were, were, were notable or that they stuck out or that they were at a certain point in time as Jesus headed back into the city. But there's also indication that there were a bunch of temptations, that these three are just three of the temptations. In verse 13, you see the word every when he had completed every temptation. And so Satan is just lobbing grenades at Jesus left and right. And maybe you can relate to this, that you feel like, you know, when it rains, it pours, and the temptations just keep flying. And there's all kinds of reasons for you to doubt who God is. There's all kinds of reasons for you to doubt his provision. Maybe you can relate to this sense of feeling like temptations are bombarding you. It appears that that is what is happening. Now, maybe you could say this is why the writer of Hebrews could actually say that Jesus can sympathize with us regarding our temptations. He said, you know, our weaknesses, that Jesus can, can relate. And he was tempted in every way, just like we are. When the, in, the, in the desert, he was tempted uh, who knows how many times. But as you come to the end of the text, you know, you, you're, through the text, you get these three tests and Jesus uh, passes them with flying colors as you come to verse 13, you realize, oh, the temptation stops. It finally stops. You know, what, what, what good news? Do, you, do any of us long for a day where the temptation stops? Maybe where you could have an hour with, without temptation? Might, might be nice, huh? Well, don't get your hopes up too much. Because it says that while the temptation stops, look at verse 13. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed. Man, I wish there was a period right there. From, from him until an opportune time. See, Luke tells us that Satan is not done. He's been at Jesus for 40 days. And these three, you know, these three tests, as Jesus heads back, Satan is not done. The temptation stops for now. Do you know how sobering this is? Jesus just slammed the door hard in the face of Satan, not once, not even three times, but throughout the entire 40 days, time and time again. Jesus said no to the temptations of Satan. He said no to them with crystal clarity, trusting God the Father, trusting the words of the Father. And Satan's response is, I'll be back. Satan's response is, I'm gone for now, but I'll be back until an opportune time. Listen, this should wake us up. It is so easy to see this passage as the key for us to conquer temptation. You want to, you want to conquer temptation? Here's what you do. Every time Satan comes at you, quote scripture and you'll tucker him out. He'll wear out and he'll quit. He'll leave you alone because he knows you're a man or woman of God. No, that's not a takeaway from this passage. It's, not, it's, it's the exact opposite of that. What this passage is actually telling us is, you don't have a chance. Do you know how many people have come to Christ or come to a church because they have this one area, this one thing that they need to clean up? 
And they come and they, 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 they try to like line themselves up and clean up their act and get, get right with God and get this one sin conquered, get this one temptation wiped out and kind of get themselves back on the right track, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, show their commitment to God, get, get, get doing right. Guess what Satan says to that? Even if you do, I'll be back. I will come from that same angle again. Or I'll change angles. I'll come from a different angle. Or I'll tempt you in something completely different. I'll go after a different passion. I'll go after a different area. I'll be back. You know, there's a professor at, at Duke University named Kate Bowler, and she's done uh, some, some really helpful work on the prosperity church, the prosperity gospel. And uh, just recently, I was reading some of her, her comments and she said, you know, have you ever heard this quote, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger? She's like, yeah, right. Whatever doesn't kill you today will try again tomorrow. That's the, that's the better understanding of, of this life. We, we, we should not walk away from Luke 4 thinking, now we have the blueprint. Now I can beat Satan. Now we can go win. No. Instead, we should walk away from Luke 4 intensely humbled, realizing that if Satan didn't quit on Jesus, he is for sure not going to quit on me. If Jesus slammed the door in Satan's face every single time and Satan says, okay, like, fine, I'll, I'll be back. Like, how many times have I not slammed the door in Satan's face? How many times have I opened the door wide? How many times have I invited him right in and bought into the ideas? Bought into the temptations. I mean, I must be like red meat for him. And my guess is that that's you too. We must realize that temptation in this life, it's always going to be around. This is part of the journey with Jesus. Think about the stories of the Bible. I just mentioned Adam and Eve a moment ago. Where were they? Where were Adam and Eve? In the perfect garden of Eden. And temptation showed up. Think about their son. Their son Cain gets very upset about something. And his heart stirs in anger. And the God of heaven comes to Cain and says, Cain, if you leave the house like this, it is not going to go well. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Be careful. And Cain ignores it. Job, one of the hardest stories in the Bible, as he's navigating his temptations and his challenges, where does one of his temptations come from? His own wife. His wife says to him, curse God. If he lets this stuff happen to you, curse him. Sarah, Abraham's wife, where does her temptation come from? Her own husband. Her own husband tells her to lie. And then here in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we have the Son of God being tempted. Man, add us to the list. Our trips and our falls are too numerous to count. 
temptation is going to be part of the story. I can't do this. You can't do this. But there is one who did. See, we need more than strategies to defeat temptation. We need someone to actually defeat the tempter. And that is what Luke wants us to see. You see, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, did what none of us could ever do. Jesus stood against the onslaught of Satan in the wilderness, and he stood against all the other temptations throughout his whole life, and he did so without ever sinning, without ever failing. This incredible exchange right here in Luke 4 is not just a lesson on how to beat Satan for us, but rather a realization of what we need Christ to do for us. Luke 4 invites us to look back to Genesis chapter 3 and realize that, oh yeah, this liar, this deceiver, this tempter, this is what he does. He runs around trying to derail us. It invites us to look back and to realize that this is a pattern. But Luke 4 also invites us to look forward. You see, in just a few years after this temptation, Jesus goes further than just saying no to temptation. He goes to the cross, and on the cross, he bears all of our sin, and he dies and rises again. And when he does, he crushes Satan. And when he crushes Satan, do you know that he is keeping the promise that God made way back in Genesis 3? You see, after Adam and Eve failed their test in the garden, sin infected the world. And God comes and meets with Adam and Eve, and he says, it's going to be, guys, you don't have any idea how bad it is. It's so much worse than you could have ever imagined. It's impacted everything. It's infected everything. But I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And Eve, from your seed is going to come someone who is actually going to crush this one. He's going to crush the tempter. He's going to crush Satan. And when Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again, that's exactly what Jesus did. He crushed Satan, and he kept the promise of God. So Satan, right now, yeah, he's still causing casualties. Yes, Satan keeps coming and has no shame, but at the very same time, Christ has already provided our rescue. Yes, Satan is roaming about seeking whom he might devour. But at the very same time, he's on a leash. You know, there's this illustration that, that we ran into years ago, and it's the illustration of a farmer out in the middle of the field, and he's on his tractor, and he's, he's riding around out there, and he, he, he sees a, a rattlesnake. And he doesn't have any tools with him to kill the rattlesnake, because all that he has is a rock, a stone, out there in the middle of the field. So he goes over and he grabs this stone and he throws the stone down on the neck of the snake. And it pins the snake down. And the farmer then walks all the way back to the barn to get a shovel. And he has a pretty long walk back to the barn. And he's going to get the shovel. And when he gets back with the shovel, he is going to take that snake's head off and alleviate the danger. But while the farmer walks back to the barn that snake still has a bite. That snake's been crushed, but it's not done yet. That snake, if you get close enough, that snake, if it, as it whispers and lures you in, it still bites. The day is coming where its head is going to be severed, where it's going to be done, where it's going to be finished. But the farmer's not back from the barn yet. 
In so many ways, Jesus' conquering of Satan puts us in that kind of a situation. To be honest with you, is all Satan really has is lies. Is all he has is lies. He's just wooing you in with lies. He's a conquered foe. He's going to be put away forever, but that day's not yet. Yes, Satan is trying to enslave you to sin, but at the very same time, we've already been freed. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Yes, Satan is dangerous, but at the very same time, Christ is so much greater. 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we could have come to this passage and focused on three lessons on how you can beat Satan, just like Jesus did. And there would be some help there. That There would be some tools for you to face your temptations. Could have spent our time talking about how to stop temptation in its tracks, or again, how to beat Satan. But the even better news that I'm telling you is that, our, that the one and only who could ever beat Satan already did. Here in Luke chapter 4, and every other single time. And that very one is now offering you to come to him. To realize how often you have lost the battle with temptation. And how desperately you are in in need of him and his righteousness. He's inviting you to see that he is better. That his way for you is eternally good. To trust him. You know, one of the proofs that Jesus is greater than anything else. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. This is what this is what the uh, what the the Apostle John writes. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, so John John wrote, if you're familiar with John's writing, especially 1 John, uh, there's a whole bunch of bombs that John drops on sin. John's got a pretty aggressive opinion of, our, uh, of the effort that we should be giving to run from sin. He recognizes that it is for our ill. It is to our, to our pain if we walk in sin. And so he calls us from that. He calls us with quite a bit of, of uh, uh, magnitude to, to, to run from sin. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Anybody in that category? No, you're not. So, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So John says, look, when temptation comes, fight that temptation. Run from sin. Don't fall for the lies. It's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a trap. He's, he's, not, he's not playing fair. He's not playing honest. Run from it. God's way actually is good. Satan is is leading you on the path to death. Run from it. Say no to sin. Don't do it. But if anyone does, Christian, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That Jesus Christ stands in your place. We've said this so many times that Jesus has taken your resume and he's traded your resume with his resume. You get his resume, and he takes yours. And he stands before the Father as your representative. And he says, yeah, I know, I know, but I paid for that. Yeah, I know, but I covered that. Even if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And we're going to go to the, the Lord's table here. But I want you to look at this quote. This is a quote to pay attention to from Jonathan Edwards. Christ, by his obedience, has honored God abundantly more than the sins of any of us have dishonored him. God hates our sins, but not more than he delights in Christ's obedience, which he performed on our account. God desires no more. Look, if you have run to God by faith, If you have put your hope in Jesus, then God sees you in Christ and through Christ. And the reason that's important is because if it's true, then as a Christian, no matter what, you are already accepted. God's grace is abounding to you in Christ. What's the result of seeing Jesus in Luke 4 instead of just seeing instructions for a personal victory? Well, one of my favorite books, Gospel Primer, says this. In moments of temptation, I can say to myself, you know, I can commit this sin. And God's grace would abound to me all the more as he maintains my justified status. But it is precisely for this reason that I choose not to commit this sin. In such moments, I can walk away from sin with laughter in my heart. This recognition that God is that good for me, to, to me, that he is providing my, my justification with such confidence that I don't have to run and try to do it myself. And so can you, not because you're strong enough, but because Christ is good enough. Not because you alone are able to beat Satan, but because Christ already did. And that's why we run to this table. We fight the fight every day, and we should, but we are constantly reminded that our best fight is not enough. We need a rescue. We need a rescuer. And Christ is that rescuer. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, Jesus is actually the mercy and grace that we can find in our time of need. If our servers will please come, let's pray. God, my guess is that there's a lot of uh, common ground here in this room when we think about temptation, when we think about the, the, the wooing of our hearts, the, the whispers that we might hear, the desire to do things that we, we know are contrary from your good design. God, would you help us to realize, first of all, we, we're, we are not alone in that. Everyone in this room is, is fighting their battles. Everyone in this room is trying to trust your word, trying to trust your way, trying to believe your promises. God, would you help us to realize that We've got a lot of partners in this this journey. Help us not to live in the dark. Help us to bring those things into the light. God, would you help us to fight sin? But even more than that, God, would you help us to turn with full confidence and trust that there is one who actually crushed the tempter, who actually took all of our sin and paid for every bit of it, past, present, and future, And that because Jesus has done that kind of work on our behalf, we can actually stand here with total confidence of your love for us, that you smile upon us, that you welcome us in, that your son has brought us home. God, we thank you for this table, for this bread and this cup, for the opportunity for us to remember that the body has been broken, the blood has been spilled for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.